It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, you know the number to call, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, that's the number to be on, and we heard nationwide, around the country, around the globe. Bob Woodson's joining us at the bottom of the hour. Woodson Center founder and author of a new book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing America History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. He'll be with us. He's also seen the results of George Floyd death. Not only the loss of George Floyd's life, but the rise in crime and the rise in victimhood of blacks who are the victim of a lot of this crime, not from cops, but from uh, other uh, African-Americans in our country. He's going to be talking about that because he lost someone, a couple of people within his organization. Uh, keep in mind, too, a couple of things are happening. Uh, the numbers just came in on the economy. Prices are up 5%. 5%. The Biden administration says this is just temporary. It's the biggest rise since 2008 in prices. Uh, we don't know if there's more to come, but this crazy spending uh, of printing of money cannot help. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us? The greatest threat facing America? Global warming. Because there will be significant population because of the fights over what is variable land. You believe this? Uh, we're doomed. Hold on tight. President Biden has kicked off his overseas trip, which will culminate with a one-on-one with Vladimir Putin. But so far, off to a rocky start, to be kind. My concerns are his age and his instincts. And oh, yeah, citing climate change as the number one national security threat. Next time, Joe, phone a friend. The answer is actually China or Russia. Number two. This is a CNN report on Harris's trip. Vice President Kamala Harris endured a rocky first foreign trip since taking office, with sources telling CNN her two-day swing through Mexico and Guatemala left some administration officials quietly perplexed about what they perceive as her bumpy answers to questions about whether she will go to the U.S.-Mexico border. The broken border, it's a bad trip. The state of the game after VP Harris returns after two stunningly subpar meetings in Mexico and Guatemala. And new numbers are released showing just how many illegals crossed into our country last month. Record high. Number one. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. So if you are trying to get at me, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Unbelievable. Starting to crack. The almighty Fauci makes it clear. Criticize me. You're criticizing science? Really? What if a doctor scientist criticized you? Do they not like science? It seems to me an epidemiologist has no clue. This seems to me that an epidemiologist, uh, I'm trying to make this analogy here, has no clothes and doesn't like it when they make him look in the mirror. That was my analogy. Uh, The backlash is uh, in a moment. So this is unbelievable to me. So first I'll let you hear what he says, and then we'll try to make sense of it, if I can. This might be too big a mountain to climb. So he's talking to Chuck Todd about his critics. Cut eight. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. 
Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people, and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. And anybody that looks at what's going on clearly sees that. You have to be asleep not to see that. I did not see the whole interview. This is the only clip I saw. I don't watch Chuck Todd uh, uh, during the week. So I have no idea if Chuck Todd pushed back on him. My sense is he doesn't. But let me just make this clear if I need to, but I'll just verify. I'll, I'll just go, go ahead and humor me if you've already put two and two together. He told us in February this pandemic, this coronavirus will not be a problem here. Then he told us we had the test handled. The CDC can handle it. Then he told us don't wear a mask. They don't work. Then he told us to wear a mask, and then it's a problem. And then he told us that we're not going to have a vaccine for at least 18 months. That was wrong. Thankfully, he had it in nine months. He vilified Texas and Florida and Mississippi specifically because they were loosening up restrictions, he said, uh, in an archaic way, way too soon. He was wrong, 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 and wrong. Never acknowledging when he's wrong, just moving on as if we had forgotten. That's science. I'm criticizing you because you don't talk about data. You don't talk about what changed. You just talk about through an interview what we're now doing. Never brings up when it comes to this coronavirus and herd immunity that natural immunity should be figured in, not just vaccines. So Dr. Harvey Reich of Yale School of Public Health listened to this soundbite and said this last night, cut 14. Well, Laura, he's name-calling. You know, when I defend a scientific point of view, I pull up the papers, I pull up the data. I say, this shows this, this shows that, and here's how I interpret it. Dr. Fauci doesn't do any of that. He just says, nine out of 10 scientists believe what I say, or my all the scientists I know believe what I say. He never, that I've ever heard, has cited one reference as to supporting his position. So that's not science. And don't forget his biggest faux pas, dismissing the Wuhan lab leak as a cause. Why does it matter? Because you prepare a different test. If it's a different spread, if it's a different characteristic of a virus, you come up with a different test. We were not ready. The CDC was not prepared. We got no information. Never condemns them. But now I'm just going to keep my eye on this story. These emails reveal a relationship with Mark Zuckerberg. If you tweeted things out to support hydroxychloroquine or the Wuhan lab theory, a lot of times you were frozen temporarily, you were suspended from social media. And now I'm wondering, were these coming from conversations that Zuckerberg is having with Anthony Fauci? Stay tuned. He's got a book coming out in November. My hunch is that he'll be disgraced like Cuomo before this book comes out. Tom Cotton tweeted this out. This ego is remarkable. Considering Fauci has been wrong on nearly everything, the guy should be fired. Should be fired. And now he's getting rattled to his core. Think about how he screwed up the country. If you want to really help, try to find out if ventilators work. Because clearly it wasn't a great move. Because you've got a ventilator. I think the stats were extremely high. You're never getting off. We couldn't make them fast enough. Why didn't you stop us then? Why don't you do studies and reveal what we've learned so far? Why did you tell us to wipe down everything and wear gloves to the store when this virus was already out there and it doesn't transmit through objects and encounters? Why did you tell us to stay in and only go out when necessary when it turns out we never could get this virus if we're outside? There's almost no cases of getting it person to person when outside. 
Senator John Kennedy, cut nine. I respect Dr. Fauci, but Dr. Fauci needs to cut the crap. This isn't about Dr. Fauci. It's not about his feelings, and I'm sorry if his feelings were hurt. You know, maybe he ought to buy an emotional support pony. But, but we're not debating uh, dance moves on TikTok here. We're talking about millions of human lives. And here's what we know. Dr. Fauci gave a lot of U.S. taxpayer money to the Wuhan lab for Chinese scientists to research bat coronaviruses. Neither Dr. Fauci nor any of his people can guarantee us that the Chinese scientists didn't use that money to do gain-of-function research and turn a, a normal virus into a supercharged virus. It's our money. You don't think we care? We shouldn't ask questions? We shouldn't question Anthony Fauci? So this is the analogy I used on television. If I criticize LeBron James or Kyrie Irving, it's not that I can do that, and it doesn't mean I hate basketball. So if I tell you that uh, Kevin Durant of the Nets don't like him, if he came back at me and said, well, you just don't like basketball, they go, no, no, I, I don't like you. Of course, I like Kevin Durant. Who, who wouldn't? He was a great person, just read this great story about him. But he wouldn't come back at me and say, you just don't like basketball. I would say, no, 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 uh, this directed you. If I don't like Derek Jeter, he's going in the Hall of Fame this year. doesn't mean I don't like baseball. So he says, if you don't like what I'm saying to you, you don't like science. At 82 years old, does he really believe that? Does he know the editorials written about him were from scientists in the Wall Street Journal on Monday talking about the Wuhan lab leak and the likelihood of it happening? In fact, it's more than likely. Does it upset you that, Steve, uh, that Dr. Gottlieb came forward, that you had a meeting in Europe about the possibility of this coming from a lab? You wouldn't entertain it in America to us, but behind the scenes you're flying to Europe in the middle of a pandemic— that's interesting choice, isn't it? To meet with colleagues, peers, about solving this problem, maybe necessary, at which time you speculate about the Wuhan lab and the chances of it. And who knows what else that wasn't chronicled that Dr. Gottlieb didn't bring forward. You never told us that. You never told us it was a possibility. Then you told us, I didn't tell you to wear a mask because we didn't have enough, which is a total lie. And he does. He wonders why some people who are, don't worship him are questioning him. When we come back, I'm going to hit you with some numbers at the border that will stun you in a bad way. And the horrible reviews, justifiably, that Kamala Harris is getting from her two-stop Central American tour. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Glad you are. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We must all commit to the ambitious climate action. We're going to prevent the worst impacts of climate change, limiting global warming and warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. We need to go global transition to clean energy technology. You know, I went over in the tank in the Pentagon when I first was elected vice president, President Obama. Military sat us down, let us know what the greatest threat facing America, the greatest physical threats. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. Because there will be significant population movements, fights over land. It is absolutely sickening to hear him say that. If you re- if he really believes that, number one, if the Joint Chiefs of Staff actually told him that, they all should be fired. Number two, if he really believes that, that we're supposed to buy that, we're all doomed. Remember, Bob Gates said he's been wrong on every single national security uh, decision over the la- in his lifetime. And this is another one. If he sits down and tells Vladimir Putin, I'm most concerned about climate change, do you know that in China, their number one enemy by far, they have asked them by 2030 to begin cutting back emissions by 2060, be zero, net zero? You know what they said? We're delaying that. Our, now, our focus right now is growing our economy. That should be our focus. Instead, we're trying to destroy the fossil fuel industry, which thanks to fracking, hydraulic fracking, we're starting to dominate and be energy independent. That obviously reflects, uh, reflects on our security as a country. And he says climate change. If he sits down with Europe and says climate change, if he sits down with Russia and says climate change, they will say, yeah, you got it. And they'll laugh him right out of the continent. So he talks about meeting with Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is already sending you a message. Navalny, who's the, uh, who's the uh, opposition candidate, who was so effective, he aired video of the opulence of Vladimir Putin and all his minions and how they're robbing the government blind. And he became this cult figure. They tried to kill him and poison him. For some reason, he came back to the country. Now he's jailed. They have just outlawed his organization. What a message that is to Joe Biden. It is saying, yeah, I told you, you told me human rights was one of your main things and that you should treat dissidents and detractors with respect. Not only am I not doing that, I am making them illegal, and I'm keeping them in jail. Same with Belarus. So I cannot tell you how discouraging it is to see President Biden go over there with all that experience, 
Like Bush 41 is more experienced, of course, CIA director, much more effective, much more respected. But Joe Biden going over there telling Europe we got to unite against the behemoth, uh, the uh, Antichrist, which is China. And they have to go along with Joe Biden because he's what? Not Donald Trump? Listen to Ted Cruz, cut six. You know, for four years, we heard Democrats saying, Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, what did Joe Biden do? He just gave a multi-billion dollar gift to Vladimir Putin. He waived the mandatory sanctions on Nord Stream 2. I'm the author of those sanctions. I wrote those sanctions. They're bipartisan. They passed a year and a half ago. And that pipeline, that natural gas pipeline from Russia to Germany, it was 90 percent complete. President Trump signed those sanctions at 7 p.m. on a Thursday night, 15 minutes earlier at 6.45. The company that was building the pipeline announced they were immediately halting. We had won. It was a massive foreign policy and national security victory. And Joe Biden screwed it up and gave a gigantic gift to Putin. And, Sean, that mistake is a generational geopolitical blunder. And I blame Europe. As much as Russia, they couldn't believe that Russia invaded the Ukraine and stayed in Georgia and continues to well up troops on the border. But they allowed this Nord Stream pipeline to bypass Ukraine, hub at Germany, and travel across Europe, all our allies. So if they want to just turn the screws on the West, they can now do it while turning down our natural gas, which we would have found a way to affordably deliver, just like we could affordably deliver the vaccine, which I think we're going to do. Here's Ben Dominich, cut seven. You know, this uh, Joe Biden is very familiar to all of these different people. They're very well aware of what his perspective is on, on the globe. And I think they're also well aware that he is uh, already tra- telegraphing a level of sensitivity when it relates to China uh, about the nature of any potential confrontation, uh, indicating, I think, early on, unfortunately, within this administration, a reluctance to push back against China, whether it relates to this lab leak investigation, when it relates to a number of different uh, trade and policy issues, uh, and that that's something that is indicative of a feeling that America is not necessarily operating uh, from the perspective of viewing our role as being ready to stand by Taiwan, stand by our allies, and one that's more reluctant to take on China. And they are not reluctant to take on us. Last week, they said they're preparing to beat us in a nuclear war. Does that look like someone who thinks the number one threat to their country is climate change? Do you know what today's Wall Street Journal says? China has decided to put on hold their pledge to dial back on fossil fuels. They say their first job now is to revitalize their economy. That should be our first job. Inflation's up 5%. Manufacturing goods all across the country are up. Gas is up. And yet we choose not to pump. We choose not to use pipelines. So on the border crisis, before we go to break and then we talk about race in America— uh, listen to this, 180,000-plus came across uh, illegally that we caught, let alone the gotaways. In 2021, that number in May was 23,000. Now it's up to 180. Are you concerned yet? I mean, when it was at its worst with Trump, it was 144,000. Then they quickly got on top of it and changed it. So now the border encounters in May, 
180,000. In April was 178,000. In March, 173,000. In February, 101,000. There's a million people here illegally that we're housing, are likely going to get on welfare, let alone the 17,000 unaccompanied minors we're looking to put with people who may or may not have legitimate relations with them. Kamala Harris wants to send a message to Guatemalan president. The Guatemalan president says it's your mixed messages that are telling our citizens and coyotes to go. Then she goes to Mexico, and they pretty much have an hour standoff, get nothing done, then they come back. And she never goes to the border, had no answer on why she's not. Word is to CNN that White House officials, Biden officials, are perplexed why she had such a hard time. Just first trip, jitters? No, she doesn't know the issues. She never knew the issues. Bob Woodson next, Brian Kilmeade From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I also think that there are certain right-wing media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of uh, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and, and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. And we're seeing it right now. I guess um, President Obama is an expert on white people. He says we're looking, we're scared. White people are scared of being overwhelmed by minorities. No. We're scared of being invaded by China and Russia, perhaps. We're Americans. How President Obama went from the guy that was giving those speeches to condemn his Reverend Wright for his archaic view of race relations in this country to the person he is right now is astounding, but it reflects the, the country. Bob Woodson doesn't describe to that. He's, a, he's the author of a, a new book. It's called Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. He's also the Woodson Center uh, founder. Uh, Bob, welcome back. Pleased to be here. Pleased so to be here. I, I know— I'm asking you a question about uh, white people, but why is President Obama telling us that white people are scared about things changing? We're not scared about things changing about color. We're scared about what's happening with curriculum. We're scared about what's happening with this wokeism. We're scared about having to call women birthing people and this focus on uh, giving children the option to, uh, to opt out of their gender, not about white, black or Hispanic or Asian. No, it's true. It's, it's, it's really to deflect attention away from the assault on our culture and our nation coming from his progressive uh, uh, friends, extreme friends, who are the authors of 1619 and also critical race theory that is acting like a parasite on the soul of this nation. And it's hijacked the rich heritage of the civil rights movement in order to really attack the fundamental uh, values of, their, of, of our institutions. Uh, and, and so that's why what we decided to do was put, really push back against this assault on our culture. So you put together uh, this book that includes uh, essays from 
Uh, Wilford Riley, who we had on yesterday. Shelby Steele is a consistent guest. Carol Swain, you see her all over the channel. Clarence Page, uh, John McWhorter, uh, as well as uh, John Sibley. Uh, he was a sociologist. And they managed to contribute to your book and give their perspective, correct? Yeah, because, you see, the left is used 1619 with Nicole Hannah-Jones is using the, the black... Uh, uh, black Anger. as the messenger. And so we felt it was important for the the counter-messengers to be black as well. That's why we brought together an assembly of nonpartisan, intellectual, diverse alliance of writers, thinkers, uh, activists, to focus not on a debate with them, but also to author a book that offers solutions. It, it offers an, a, a, an alternative positive, inspirational narrative that really celebrates the values of our nation and, and challenges this notion that somehow the that many of the challenges facing low-income blacks about a wedlock versus and violence is somehow a legacy of slavery and discrimination. That's a lie. Our essays uh, highlight all of the achievements that black Americans accomplished, even in the face of Jim Crow. Even in the face of slavery, we had some people who were born slaves who died millionaires. Two of them went back and purchased the plantations on which they were slaves. Bob, uh, plenty of great stories. We used to be pulling in the right direction while never claiming America was perfect. But now I'm reading statements like this from Dr. Donald Moss, a graduate of the University of Michigan Medical School and psychiatrist, 50 years in the field, defined whiteness as a malignant, parasitic-like condition that does not have a permanent cure. That, according to, his, to the abstract, found uh, feature in his uh, acronym called SAGE. So... Have you ever heard whiteness described like that until recently? No, but it, it, it's a harken back to the days of segregation. That's exactly what the racists used to say about black people. So, but you cannot use racism to cure racism. We have to push back against these race hustlers and come together and realize that, that nobody, no nation or individual should be defined by its birth defect of slavery. Slavery exists. It must be told in all of its horrible form. But it does not define America. We're the only nation that has an Emancipation Proclamation. We're the only nation that fought a war to end slavery. And, and we're the only nation where uh, black Americans fought in every war that this country had, and not one was ever convicted of treason. So, so, uh, so, the, so that the, the, the so, so the, this is the reality, and we re recite this in the book. And, and, and so the radical left is using race to cure racism, and it, it isn't working. Eighty percent of black Americans, for, for example, do not believe that we should be defunding the police. Sixty percent of blacks says that they do not believe that racial discrimination is a principal uh, handicap to the ability to to live a prosperous life. So I... who are these who are these people? Who is Obama representing and who are these progressive so-called progressive leaders? Who are they representing? So I want you to hear the, this uh, critical race theory. And keep in mind, uh, people listening to us, and this Bob Woodson, uh, 
we're not saying that uh, to teach a class without Jim Crow, don't teach a class that doesn't talk about slavery. Don't teach a class that doesn't talk about civil rights movement of the 1960s. Also, don't teach a class without uh, and skip over Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, uh, Harriet Tubman, the Buffalo Soldiers. It's part of the American story. We never said this is an unbelievably perfect story. I got news for you. No country's got a perfect linear path to greatness, but we're the ones who are working the hardest at it and are closest to it at this hour. I thought we were pulling in the right direction while acknowledging there were still inequities. I want you to hear the frustration of this one teacher that came forward in Fairfax County. Uh, I think it was last night or the night before. So here's the school board. This woman's name is Lily Vansani, and she's a longtime teacher. Cut 22. Parents, the longer that you wait and you don't hold your child's schools accountable gives these guys more time to dictate what's best for your child's physical, mental, and emotional health. Don't be afraid to speak out for your kids. You should be afraid of them rooting for socialism by the time they get to middle school. Students, you are on the front lines of these indoctrination camps. Challenge the staff when you are presented with a ludicrous statement and do not allow anybody to tell you that you cannot accomplish anything because of your skin color or to hate. And she's a white person. And a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to, I believe that. I'll whisper it to you in the hall when you come over to my house, but I'm not going to say it out loud. Are you encouraged, Bob, that people are saying it out loud now? Absolutely. We released, uh, on our essays, we released uh, about nine lessons that provides ammunition for parents like that to use when they're confronting their school boards. In the first first week, we had 11,000 downloads of our curriculum. It's free on our website because people are desperate for factual uh, information that tells the truth about America. That's why people of color are risking their lives to get here from all over the country, I mean, all over the world. And uh, But the biggest challenge that we face, like I say, is coming – from a minority, first of all, they're denigrating the very values that the black community use to to uh, to to stand up against slavery and discrimination. It was the uh, our Christian faith, so, uh, commitment to self determination, and the free enterprise system that enabled blacks to to not uh, to prosper in the face of discrimination. We had our own hotels. We even started our own railroad. In, in uh, 1868 in Baltimore, Maryland, when a thousand blacks were fired. So it is important for children, black, white, brown, to know the, 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 the real history of this country. And, and, and it's important for blacks in particular not to be defined as helpless and hapless victims of a racist society. And therefore, their destiny is determined by what white people do, will do or not do. That's insulting to black people to to so characterize them as somehow hapless victims waiting to be rescued. This is pers- insulting. We it's keep racist. Uh, I well, I agree. I, I mean, it's it's like well, we know you can't win, so we're going to we're going to handicap you. We're going to give you a five game lead, so we know you can't win the division because you're not as good as us. I'd go keep your five game lead. We could beat you. I don't care how, how, how much of a home field advantage that you have. Uh, I'll beat you. That used to be the attitude. But now you said white people are the problem. Apologize for it. 
And now there's backlash because of it. And I think a lot of prestigious professors are, are beginning to speak up, like Professor Lowry, very similar to you've been doing, uh, did yesterday with on this show and did with uh, Tucker Carlson. So a couple of things that has happened over the last year. You see these rallies in the streets, destroying cities, and built off George Floyd. What has happened in the black community to make things better since George Floyd's tragic death at the hand of Derek Chauvin, who's been convicted for his killing? Nothing. It's, it's all been downhill, particularly as the progressive left vilifies the police. I have a column in the Wall Street Journal today that, 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 that de- details how crime has risen. There are about four children shot a day in America, black children, but their names are never uh, are displayed in the press because the press is waiting for some white police officer to shoot some black and then portray that as more of the rule. And so, uh, but black America is standing up and, and speaking out about, uh, about this. We have a group of 2,500 black mothers who, uh, who formed an organization called Voices of Black Mothers United. Uh, they're under the umbrella of the Woodson Center. And they've taken out a full page ad in the USA Today uh, supporting the police and, and uh, speaking out against the defunding the police. They're also working in cooperation with the police to make our community safer. Uh, so right. these are the kinds of people that are, are mobilizing and speaking for themselves. In the Wall Street Journal column, you write about Makai uh, Buckley, a 19-year-old grandson of Carl Hardrick, one of the most faithful leaders in youth violence prevention. He was fatally shot in Hartford, Connecticut. You talk about the, the this is really hits home with you, right? It really does. It's personal and, and, uh, and up close. Carl is one of my closest friends. And one of our, he's one of the generals in the fight against youth violence in the city of Hartford, and he advises us all over this nation. And so, I, in fact, I will be going to his funeral tomorrow. And, and, and so I use the occasion of his death to point out that he is, these are the kind of deaths that are ignored by the press, but, but instead they want to celebrate George Floyd as if he's some national hero or he's the um, a Rosa Parks naming a, pro, a, a plaza for him. He's not a hero. And he, yet, he, he isn't. Uh, the way, yeah, nobody thinks he should have died. No one thinks Derek Chauvin no. that I know was right. I don't even know a cop that thinks that. And as Bill no Bratton said, yeah, as Bill Bratton said a couple of days ago, no one's done more damage to policing than Derek Chauvin has. That's why he sits in prison right now with 13 violations prior to this one. But you point out other people. It's black on black crime, sadly. A week later, a 10-year-old Lena Marie Nunez Anaya was killed after a stray bullet came through the window of her Chicago apartment. We don't know that. In July 2020, a 7-year-old Natalia Wallace was shot in the forehead as she played outside, also in Chicago. You talk about an 11-year-old also killed, an 11-month-old were killed. These are not by cops. And you, you have a stat here that says 80% when surveyed in the black community do not want to defund police. Exactly. And, and yet their voices are not, not, not uh, 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 allowed to surface, and that's why— we are working hard to p- provide the means for the people suffering the problem. It's very interesting that, as I said in, in one of my tweets, Al Sharpton flies in on a private jet 
to protest and Maxine Waters leaves a $3 million uh, uh, home in Los Angeles to protest an event sponsored by Black Lives Matter uh, founder who lives in a $1.3 million home in a white community protected by police. I call them my millionaire Maoist. Bob, there's so much going on. you got to speak out. Continue to do it through the Woodson Center. Congratulations on your book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionist and Race Hustlers. Thanks so much, Bob. And thank you. You got it. one 408 I could have gone on for another hour. Uh, when we come back, it's your turn. You have a lot to say. You don't have to agree with me. Anthony Fauci comes out. He says, if you criticize him, you're criticizing science. I don't agree with that. Where do you stand? You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Wayne Brady told us... He wouldn't mind losing to Alex Trebek in the Emmys this year, and I know you're nominated in the same category. I was just wondering how you felt about that. Well, Alex has won a lot. I presume he will win again. I hope he does. Would you be okay if he did? Yeah, I'm rooting for it. So Pat Sajak uh, rooting for Alex Trebek to win an Emmy this year as best game show talk show. No, game show host, right? Correct. I mean, one, you can't blame him to say that, right? But two, he can't say, no, I want to win. I hope he loses. Right. right. I mean, Pat Sajak seems to me, I don't watch Wheel of Fortune, but America does. It's number one to three. It seems to me he is so bored, right? <laughs> he feels like he could have done so much more. You know, he was at Fox for a little while. Was he? Yeah, he had a talk show. Uh, Kevin McGee, that used to be an executive here, liked him, brought him in. And he was doing a show. He was really good. I mean, he asked great questions. He obviously is extremely smart. And as he made a zillion dollars. But I just feel maybe, in some respect, he felt trapped. Where Alex Trebek... You never got that sense. Well, because you felt like he was totally fulfilled, right? Well, I agree. But I would think the difference too between Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. Jeopardy is there's always so many different questions. They sort of have more, like the celebrities that come in, right? It's sort of, I feel like they changed it up a little bit more. Really? No. Okay. I, I, I don't know. know. I, I just don't watch them that much. I, yeah, I just, I just think it's one guy just loved it, and I, I don't think Pac Jack loves well, it. Well, did you meet him Chuck, when he was here at Fox? I think I did. I think I did a couple of times. Uh, Chuck Woolery was the first Wheel of Fortune host, mm-hmm. and they used to let you shop after you won. That sounds a little bit more exciting. Be there. I don't know why Chuck left that. Uh, Judy, listening in Virginia. Hey, Judy. Hey, hello. Good. What's in your mind? Well, I, I heard you talking earlier about the critical race theory, and yeah. I, I can't, I mean, I know it's been alluded to, but honestly, that thing cannot be squelched until you get it out of the universities. Uh, I worked at uh, Virginia Tech for 41 years, recently retired, um, and it's been coming for quite a while. That kind of talk has been uh, preached uh, pretty much, um, you know, it's been voluntary to a point, but then there were certain aspects of what they call diversity that you had to take, and that is where it's indoctrinated, and it's indoctrinated in our, our students. So um, and definitely the employees. I could speak for the employee side. But um, until that is addressed, you won't get rid of it. It was mainly the equity part they got into, which is the socialism part. And it's the reparations um, part of the white people are evil and they need to pay the price and they need to step back and 
uh, self-flagellate. It's not going to happen. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, that's a good point, Judy. Thanks for your up uh, close opinion and observation from your years at Virginia Tech. Hey, uh, go to BrianKillme.com if you want to order any of my books, those history books. Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirates for Father's Day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Got a big hour coming your way. Chris Wallace is just getting out of the shower. He asked me to buy some time for him. Uh, He'll be with us shortly. And Dr. Marty McCarry is coming up. Does she believe what Dr. Fauci believes, that if you criticize him, you don't like science? Unbelievable. We know the President of the United States is overseas, and he's going to be in Brussels, going to be in Vienna, is in the U.K. Keep your fingers crossed. It goes out better than it started. And uh, he is uh, comes up with better results than the vice president did. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us? The greatest threat facing America global warming. Because there will be significant population moves because of the fights over what is variable land Exhale, Russia and China. Global warming is the greatest threat to America. I knew it. That makes sense. Next. Number two. This is a CNN report on Harris's trip. Vice President Kamala Harris endured a rocky first foreign trip since taking office, with sources telling CNN her two-day swing through Mexico and Guatemala left some administration officials quietly perplexed about what they perceive as her bumpy answers to questions about whether she will go to the U.S.-Mexico border. Wow. Uh, you're talking about a broken border? Yeah, it was a bad trip. That's the state of the game after VP Harris returned home after two stunningly subpar meetings, Mexico and Guatemala. New numbers are being released. Over 180,000 crossed illegally. Those are the ones we got. Can you imagine the ones we didn't? Number one. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. So if you are trying to get at me, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Exactly. That's, for example, if you don't like Babe Ruth, you don't like baseball. Um, If I don't like Derek Jeter, I don't like baseball. No, I don't like those guys Uh, starting to crack. The almighty Fauci makes it clear. Criticize me. You don't like science. Really? What if a doctor scientist criticize you? Do Do they not like themselves? It seems to me the emperor has no clothes and is suddenly looking in the mirror and is not happy with what he's seen. Uh, But first. Now it's time to welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show, the esteemed Emmy-nominated host of Fox News Sunday. What is it about me that ticks people off, Brian? Always honest, always fair, and always balanced. Are you a cocaine addict? No apologies for relentless fact-based reporting. (laughs) I are a little punchy today, aren't we? (laughs) Folks, we take this stuff very seriously. Right. So seriously that Brian has once again been named this This Sunday's Sunday's power player. player. This is the essence of fake news. Donald Trump is right. You are the enemy of the American people. (laughs) This is fake news. (laughs) 
is Chris. Brian Kilmeade can be my power player, Wallace. In the fall. You know, I don't want to be this it, weekend. I, I want in the it, fall. It's it's a little sad. <laughs> what is I mean, it? You're, you're, you're begging. You're, <laughs> I mean, to, 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 to get Frank and Eric and the, and the symphony orchestra and the voice of God and all of these people. To just to plead your case to be the power player, it's it's a little sad. Now Jesse Waters is coming on next hour. He's got a book coming out in July. Is he the power? I, is he going to be a power player? No. Okay. Here's the deal: so many people <laughs> at Fox News are writing books that I could just do power. I could just do Fox employees as power players if I promoted every book. Okay. At a certain point, I had to say enough. Right. On the other hand, Countdown Bin Laden is coming out in September, and Countdown 1945 is out in paperback right now. It's on the paperback New York Times bestseller list, and it would be a great gift for anybody for Father's Day. Countdown 1945, the story of Truman and the atom bomb. Now, do you it's think great, that's great better? Story. Oh, congratulations on that, by the way. Uh, do you think that would be a better gift for Father's Day than Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers? I, you know, why choose? I, I think you buy them both. If you, lo- if you love your, your father and money should be no consideration, and they're paperbacks, <laughs> so they're cheaper, you buy Sam Houston and you buy Countdown 1945. I love it. So, Chris, you're, yeah, but, uh, I'm not going to tell you what CNN says because they weren't kind to Kamala Harris. Uh, they say that the foreign ship was rocky. Administration officials told their sources. God, I know you don't like what I uh, factor in, my opinion, because you know where I stand. Uh, I thought uh, Kamala Harris had an unbelievable opening and was one of the worst candidates the most, uh, the biggest underachiever, laziest candidates I've seen, major candidates I've seen run for president. But now the administration is perplexed by Harris's uh, border trip and her answer to the question, are you going to the border in our, in Guatemalan trip, uh, in our country? The administration's perplexed. What did you think? I thought she had a really bad trip. And, you know, I, I, I thought there were a lot of obvious uh, potholes to the trip, and she stepped in every one when she should have been prepared to to, to drive around them. If if you have a lick of sense, you've got to know you're going to be asked why haven't you gone to the border yet? I understand they're saying she's not in charge of the border; she's in charge of uh, Central America. But it's still a question. And here, l- let me tell you, I'm not that smart. Uh, I don't think you are either, frankly. But let me suggest this. What if she had gone to the border on the way down to Central America, had met with the migrants and said and had a a photo op and said, why are you coming here? Why are you making this dangerous trip? And they proceed to talk about all the problems in Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador. Now you go down to Central America and you meet with the leaders and you say, hey, look, this is why people are doing this. This is why they're making this dangerous track. We got to fix things up. So now when Lester Holt asks you the question, you got an answer, and it also gives you a, a better argument when you're talking to the guys down there. Does that seem like a pretty good idea? Seems like a great idea. And I'm talking about border encounters. The numbers came in in May, over 180,000, April 178,000, March 173,000. You have at least 17,000 unaccompanied minors in custody, let alone the gotaways, never saw them, let alone the fentanyl and the smuggling. And the way this is so profitable, as you get the nine-year-old and bring them 1,000 miles through dangerous terrain and drop them at our border, sometimes literally over the wall. This is a huge story that they thought, I don't know, they thought would go away. 
you know, whatever you thought about George Bush, he armed himself with so many George W. experienced people. You never thought they would drop the ball on policy and procedure. You looked at Biden. He's got the Obama experience and his own personal experience. They forgot to commemorate D-Day. They ignore what's happening at the border. They think it's going to magically go away, but just ended all Trump policies because they were Trump policies. And then today, Congressman Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, urged yesterday, uh, excuse me, this, this morning, urged President Joe Biden and Vice President Harris to visit the border, ramping up pressure on the White House. He goes on to say, he told uh, another network, come in and with all due, due respect, don't do a stage visit. That was what she said. It'll be a stage visit. It doesn't have to be. You could hop in a pickup truck. You could buzz down that wall. You could find out about what the electronics, uh, what electronic surveillance is working, how many men they are down, how many facilities are packed, where they're going. And then you could have names of people that you can trust at the border that can go beyond the numbers. That's what happens if you're a leader. I'll give you an example. If you're uh, in our business, if the Tonight Show is failing and they say, well, I'm not taking over that show. It's failing. Well, are you a producer or not? If you're a producer, take on the challenge. If you are a leader, take on the challenge. You know, and this is the, the genius of Brian Kilmeade, that you are making very cogent points about the border, and then suddenly you bring in The Tonight Show. I yeah. mean, most people wouldn't see a connection there, <laughs> but you did. And that, that takes that, uh, that special gift that you have. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you, I know what you've done. You're watching, you've been watching the history of late night on CNN, haven't you? You know, I did my when I had to do a senior project, and I chose the history of late night television, and actually, I've always it, been passionate know, about a, it. It's a very good series. I, it's I, great. You know, I hate to I hate to, to praise the other guys, but I've been watching it. I'm I'm taping it, so I don't not not watching Fox at that hour. I'm asleep at that hour. But anyway, you know, I agree with you. And and here's the other flaw in in the Biden treatment. It I, it is certainly the case that ultimately. You're not going to solve the immigration problem until you solve the root causes of what's the problem in Mexico, what's the problem in Central America. But that's going to take forever. I mean, you're, I you're, you think that there's going to a quick fix to solving the crime problem, the drug problem, the gang problem, the poverty problem in 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 all those countries? We got, as you say, a hundred, two hundred thousand people crossing the border right now. So. Yes, I'm not saying that it has to be either or. You should try to solve the problem, the root causes. But that's no that's no substitute for dealing with the problem at the border right now. And obviously one of the problems was that uh, President Biden reversed Donald Trump and said people from Central America, unaccompanied minors from Central America, could come across. That, I mean, the Guatemalan president said that sent a welcome, you know, put a welcome mat out. You, you got you to gotta end that right away. Thank you. We agree. I'm risking my luck here. First, I want to get your plug in for your show before I go to two more quick topics. Who's coming on? Uh, well, the big story this weekend is President Biden in Europe talking to the allies, talking next week to Vladimir Putin. We're going to have uh, the former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, a Sunday exclusive guest, to give his critique of how Biden is doing so far on the trip. And also Robert Menendez, the Democratic chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And we'll talk about the trip. We'll also, I'm sure, talk about Kamala Harris's trip, which, again, I agree with you, did not go well. All those folks out there who say, oh, Chris Wallace, you're such a liberal. No, you call it the way you see it. Uh, when they do well, you've got to say that. When they do badly, you've got to say that, too. Anthony Fauci on his critics. Cut eight. 
It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people, and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. And anybody that looks at what's going on clearly sees that. You have to be asleep not to see that. So if you just so you know, if you criticize Chris Wallace, you don't like television. And if you criticize Brian Kilmeade, you do not like radio, all right? You can criticize us, but you just don't like the business we're in. I mean, have you ever seen a guy more detached from reality? I mean, he is wide open to criticism. And when you're on television every third minute talking about things that affect everybody's lives and been wrong so often, how dare you say something like that, Chris, your, your witness? <laughs> My witness? Um I like, you know, and we've been through this before, I like Dr. Anthony Fauci a good deal more than you do, and I think some of the criticism of him is unfair. First of all, I mean, but, first of all, if you refer to yourself in the third person, (laughs) as he did several times there, you're in trouble. I mean, if I ever hear you seriously say, uh, Brian Kilmeade feels, although, you know, with your ego, it's certainly a danger. It's certainly a, a risk. Uh, that, that, you know, Bob Dole used to do that. It's a bad thing. Don't ever refer to yourself in the third person. And I, I agree with you. Don't ever say, if you attack me, you're attacking <laughs> science or television or radio, whatever. Uh, I like Fauci. I do think I agree with you. I think he's been out there way too much, I think. Uh, and I think that was an unfortunate uh, state, set of statements and, and does raise the question as to whether he thinks he's above criticism which is a bad thing. I mean, anybody in public life, and particularly if you're a scientist, you got to be open to new facts. And questioning, for instance, whether it, it, it the the COVID re- escape from the lab or whether it was a natural occurring phenomenon, that's a that's a question that hasn't been decided. And questioning it isn't questioning science. It's in fact a pursuit of science. So, so I want to I want to bring it. That, I, I like him, but I think that was an unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, occurrence on his part. Yeah, uh, but he has made mistakes that affected so many lives. My compassion is gone. Uh, Dr. Harvey Reich, uh, he's uh, was on with Laura last night. Uh, he is a public health professor at Yale, which is a pretty good school, according to people that live. Well, go- it's not quite as good as where I went, but that's okay. Cut 14. Well, Laura, he's name-calling. You know, when I defend a scientific point of view, I pull up the papers, I pull up the data, I say, this shows this, this shows that, and here's how I interpret it. Dr. Fauci doesn't do any of that. He just says, nine out of ten scientists believe what I say, or my, all the scientists I know believe what I say. He never, that I've ever heard, has cited one reference as to supporting his position. So that's not science. So I let a science uh, handle uh, tackle that. I think that it's the beginning of the end. By the time his book comes out in November, I believe that uh, I think they'll end up pulling it because he's going to be totally disgraced. And I think where that money's going to that Wuhan lab and others possibly doing research that Barack Obama stopped in 2014 and Trump knew nothing about in 2017, I think there's a there's a huge problem there. But uh, Allison has something to tell you. 
uh, because I don't th- I don't want to make it seem like I'm talking about myself in the first person or third person. <laughs> I, I mean, Brian, when do- you can't self promote here, but for- so Chris Talkers released their heavy hundred yesterday, which which is what Allison? It's basically the all of the talk radio shows in the industry, right? So the magazine lists the top hundred, right? And uh, we are now number four. Really? Yep. Wow. Trilling. That is. Yeah, we're pretty happy. Brian Kilmeade is the number four talk radio personality in America? According to talkers, absolutely. The show is. Everybody is. No, it's you. I mean, you know, we we used to call it uh, Kilmeade and Friends. You took out the Friends. You called it the Brian Kilmeade Show. You turned on your staff. It's all you. So uh, Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, Dave Ramsey, and and this show. So Fox dominates. Well, you should be number one. I can't be number one. Why? Have you met Sean Hannity? Wait a minute. That's a positive attitude. I can't be number one. Is that, you know, we've put that on your tombstone. Here lies Brian Kilmeade. Quote, I can't be number one. (laughs) That is true. We're up against it. (laughs) That was really negative. My gosh. (laughs) I am very proud of you. Now, here's the question, Allison, and I want an honest answer. What role do you think this segment every Thursday plays in Brian Kilmeade's success? Absolutely at the top of the list. Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, guys. I went a little long with Chris Wallace. My fault. Uh, but I do. Uh, I am passionate about everything that we just brought up and having some fun. Uh, special thanks to Talkers Magazine for ranking us number four. And I'm able to speak tomorrow at the Talkers Convention, which is going to be great over at Hofstra. I think it's going to be streamed. It always is. I hope you like it. It's going to be about 120. Uh, and then uh, I'll be at Hofstra. It'll be at Hofstra University. But really, uh, Talkers Magazine um, has been uh, great to us, and we truly appreciate it. Uh, because I remember quickly. Remember that, Allison? We were ninety-eight. We were thrilled to be in the top one hundred. Right. We we've slowly creeped our way up. What was it like? Fifty-seven. I thought was huge. We got in the twenties. I thought was tremendous. I feel like we broke the top twenty-five. Like I feel like we always were just under something nice that yeah. we could say. Now we're top twenty-five. Because you had to go extra page, page down, yeah. five at a time, five at a time, exactly. five at a time. And that was last year. Well, we broke top ten two years ago. Then last year, I think we were five. So now right. we're four. Now it's hard. Now it's going to be really hard to bump up. Do you think I should keep that as what Chris Wallace recommended? My, uh, my, uh, my epitaph be. I'll never be number one. Yeah, I'm not number one. Hi, I'm Brian Kilmeade, and I'm not number one. Was never, never number one. <laughs> I was never number one. As long as Sean and Mark and uh, Dave are in the game, I don't know how I could do it. But I appreciate all the listeners. You guys make it. You guys made it happen. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about 
consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to do, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. And anybody that looks at what's going on clearly sees that. You have to be asleep not to see that. Count me asleep. Dr. Marty McCarry, Fox News contributor, surgeon, and professor of health policy at Johns Hopkins University. His book, The Price We Pay, is now on paperback, What Broke American Healthcare. Dr. Marty McCarry, along the way, has been a voice of reason, admits he's, uh, he doesn't know everything, but he, he thinks it out with us, and we really appreciate that as a non-scientist. Dr. McCarry, you have to be asleep not to know that he's following the science. Do you agree? Well, if so, I think I'm in deep REM sleep. But, you know, Brian, I've seen these arguments before. These are sort of old scientific claims when somebody's in a free fall. I remember at the Harvard School of Public Health, I took a lot of epidemiology classes, and they would say, here's a study, just go rip it apart. And I remember saying, is this speech and debate club or is this medical science? Because you can sort of cling to the science dogma anytime it's convenient. And the reality is that um, the science is actually pointing the other direction. But you can't, you have to be asleep not to understand how wrong he has been. And I'll just run through it. He said it told John Castamatidis, this, this, this virus will not be a problem here. He told us not to wear masks. He told us we're going to catch this by touching countertops, and we have to wipe off all of our cereals. He told Texas and Florida that it was, it was uh, dangerous thinking to do what they did about lifting restrictions. Uh, with the, you know, I don't see he stopped anyone from using ventilators. That proven to be uh, we were way too quick to use that. I could this is off the top of my head. So if you question him, you you're questioning science. So let me tell you where he went wrong. You know, he's had a bad week last week. Uh, let me tell you, break it down where he actually went wrong. And this was back in January or February before the pandemic is that everybody was quickly turning to him to try to figure out, is this thing going to be a big deal? And if, if you look at the email records, hundreds, almost a thousand different business leaders, the head of, you know, the, the NFL, everybody reached out to him. What do we make of this? Do we need to prepare? Dr. Fauci hedged his bet that SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID-19, was going to be like SARS-CoV-1 or SARS, which died out in China. And he hedged his bet. He also just assumed it was going to follow this mode of transmission of influenza. On those two big things, he was very wrong. I mean, deadly. And it was a big problem because, remember, he's advising the president also, who's not a virologist, and listens to what he's going to say as, you know, the nation's highest ranking doctor in this space. So that's where he really went wrong. And then instead of apologizing, he dug in. And he moved on as if we didn't hear him say masks don't work, as if we didn't hear him say, well, I only said that because we didn't have enough. 
That's not true. We watched it. We read his emails. He was telling everybody the mask didn't work when they were asking him individually. And it kind of scares me, am I a little bit out of your range, that he's talking with Mark Zuckerberg on a regular basis. And when people started tweeting things out that hydroxychloroquine, according to one study today, was effective in cases when combined with zinc or certain other drugs, that they, they would freeze your account. And if you brought up the Wuhan lab leak was the cause of the pandemic, they would freeze your account or lock you out. And re- <laughs> so and yet he was talking to the guy that was doing it. And the guy he was funding, Dr. Peter Daszak, who was also part of the cover up, the guy who got the money who, and gave it to the Wuhan lab for the NIH. He was somehow one of the Facebook fact checkers. And the biggest issue I have with Dr. Fauci is. Where is the outrage when you see something that should not be happening? Um, you know, and, and he got HIV wrong, if you will, if I can say that, because he said immediately it was going to be a vaccine that gets us out of HIV. And immediately when HIV hit, it was all vaccine, all vaccine funding, all vaccine research. It was not for the oral medications. Guess what ended up managing HIV? Not an HIV vaccine. It was antivirals. So he's a vaccine guy, and that's his bias. And I think he downplayed oral medications early on with COVID. And now, as it's gotten you crazy, is that he never thinks if you've had it, you have the natural, uh, you have the natural vaccine, you have the antibodies. So he doesn't count that as as vaccinated. We've got to stop talking about the vaccinated and unvaccinated, and talk about the immune and non-immune, because about half of the unvaccinated in America have immunity from prior infection. We call that natural immunity. And he downplayed it, dismissed it. We had arguments. I mean, it's been exhausting. And I'm, you know, I'm one guy. There's a lot of doctors who believe in this, but we can't compete with Dr. Fauci on every single network, 10, 14 hours a day, Brian. I mean, there'll be a podcast that invites me on. My staff will look at it and say, you know, Marty, there's only 12 listeners and three ratings on iTunes. This is not worth your time, and we're going to decline for you. And then I find out Dr. Fauci was on there. I mean, this guy, we can't, can't compete with this sort of totalitarian, you know, uh, message that comes down. All the studies have come out in the last couple of weeks. I summarized it in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Natural immunity is durable. It's solid. It works. People do not get sick after natural immunity. So – there's uh, this whole uh, lab leak that is gaining momentum. Even he's admitting it's gaining momentum. You look at the Vanity uh, Fair piece. You look at the Science Magazine piece that came out. You look at the two doctors that came forward on Monday saying it's most likely come from a Wuhan uh, lab. This is the analogy that I give. If I have a friend that I went to college with and they start running for office, the last thing I want to do is start pointing out problems with their policy. In fact, Fox and Friends or, or this show, they go, Brian, don't have them on. You, you're compromised. He is so compromised by the people he knows in these communities and perhaps the Wuhan lab and Peter Dadzak. He doesn't want to be critical. In fact, he covers for them. This is a closed society. But the problem is we're all paying the price with our health because they won't be clear with what they what is actually happening. And that seems the Wuhan lab, had we known what was going to hit us, we would have known about asymptomatic spread and human to human contact. Dr. Fauci should be angrier than anyone that he wasn't given the right uh, virus and the right information. To this day, we don't have it. Why is he not angry about that? Why did we have to push him to the Wuhan lab theory? 
Well, I think it's going to be – so first of all, in politics in your world, um, you know, where I'm not an expert, what I observe is that there's an issue and then there's sort of two sides to it. And the country generally falls into two groups. You take gun control, whatever the issue, say half the country may support one side and half the other side. We have that also in medical science on the issue of gain-of-function research. Roughly half the scientists are against it, half are for it. And some Johns Hopkins colleagues of mine put out a statement a while back saying this should never be done. Some very respected virologists, including Dr. Police, who I think is the number one in the, in the world, and he's there in New York, against it, signed a statement. Dr. Fauci is in the other political party on gain-of-function research, if you will. He's been giving lectures saying there's value to it, and those lectures are online. And Jesse Waters and others have played these videos, uh, Steve Hilton. Uh, by the way, he only gets hard questions when he goes in front of Congress. Otherwise, it's puff interviews. You know, where were these uh, questions a while back? But it's going to be hard for him to say that he didn't fund gain-of-function research when there's a 2015 article in medical literature and a 2017 article saying we did gain-of-function research, here's how we did it, here were the results, and thank you, NIH, here's the NIH funding mechanism that we had, and here's the funding number. How, how do you explain that? You can't, except for you could just pretend it didn't happen, and no one asked him about it, so he moves on. I sense he's starting to get sticky. This is getting sticky, and I sense that he can't outrun it, and it's not going to be Rand Paul, who other channels were saying, that QAnon sympathizer, what? QAnon? He's a libertarian, Republican, with QAnon. I don't even know what that comes from. So he's got a book coming out in November. Didn't he learn anything from Governor Cuomo? Governor Cuomo puts out a, pande- a book about the pandemic, how to beat it, essentially, while we're getting hit by a second wave. And now he's covered in scandal. By November 3rd, I don't think anyone's going to buy it. But more importantly, where we're at right now um, with the current virus, are you convinced that the vaccines we have right now uh, are strong enough against any uh, any variant that could be coming ashore that you know there's out there? Yeah, none of the none of the variants have evaded the life protecting effect of the vaccine, and there's been hundreds of variants. Now we got to keep our eye out on the Delta variant. I do think it's going to cause a little bump in cases in the United States in younger people, where the case fatality rate is similar to flu, and we shouldn't be alarmed when we see that. We'll probably see a little bump. The U.K., which was ahead of us in vaccinations, is having a little bump in cases right now. Remember, most of these cases reported are people who are asymptomatic and they are testing positive because of some screening requirement. They're not sick. But we are seeing a little increase in hospitalizations, and you're going to see that because the younger community is mostly unvaccinated. Yeah, I guess, I guess we will uh, see something. The question is, if we get it and you get vaccinated, uh, we're supposed to be able to walk this off. The symptoms are supposed yeah. to be less severe, and you're almost armed against it. That's part of it, because watching a lot of the, the, uh, the BBC coverage, the Sky TV coverage, and they're getting hit, and they're worried about them losing some privileges, privileges, some rights uh, because of this. And the, the answer should be, listen, if you got vaccinated, you're supposed to be able to have mild symptoms and move on. You know, and you know, let alone I, go ahead. Uh, sorry, but I, you know, I called for the lockdowns before the pandemic hit because it was scary. We didn't know if we were going to lose one percent of the nation's kids in the United States. We didn't have good data, so the thought was, hey, let's do this. Let's make the sacrifice until we get better data. And um, 
You know what I find people appreciate, Brian, is when I tell folks, you know, I got it wrong. I made the best recommendation I could at the time. But people are hungry for honesty, okay? And we're talking about Dr. Fauci. He's bringing this on himself right now, out there on all the media networks, showboating himself in front of Style magazine, writing a book. I mean, people have a right to be angry right now, and I think some humility would go a long way. That's all we need. No one plays a perfect game. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, from sports to life, uh, but when you don't admit it and you, you get mad at people – uh, for questioning you, that's when you lo- you lost me. Um, real quick, you write this book, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare. Is there a way to boil that down, Dr. McCarty? Where do you focus on this, on your paperback yeah. that's now out? So what's happening in healthcare is exciting right now. And don't listen to the politicians that tell you it's a legislative solution to healthcare. It's not. It's being redesigned from the ground up by doctors and nurses and entrepreneurs who are finally getting at the underlying issues in health and cutting through the waste. We're seeing price transparency come now that we got Trump to sign the bipartisan executive order, forcing hospitals to show real cash prices. That's now starting to get implemented. And a lot of smart people are saying, hey, we got to treat more diabetes with cooking classes than just throwing insulin meds at folks. We have the most over-medicated population in the history of the world, and obese and disabled. And so when people wonder why was our case fatality rate higher with COVID, it's because 78% of admissions were in people overweight and obese. So we're seeing a movement now to talk about school lunches instead of just bariatric surgery and treating back pain with ice and physical therapy more often than surgery and opioids. This is a revolution in healthcare, and this is what I write about uh, in this new paperback book. Yeah, I also kind of wish that President Trump would have brought that out sometimes. Like, guys, be healthy. Let's see if you can get yourself to go work out. You know, I know you're stuck in your house. Go, you know, if you have a treadmill, use it. If you can eat better, do it. This is all going to keep you alive. So we never talk about health even through the pandemic. We still don't. But that's a great point, Dr. McCarty. Dr. Marty McCarty, thanks so much. Pick up his book, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare. Great to be with you, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I was walking to work today. I walked to the theater district and just maybe missed Broadway. Wait, Jimmy, didn't you hear? Broadway's coming back. Broadway's coming back? Yeah, Broadway's coming back in September. This is so amazing. Man, I miss going to see a play. And I miss playing. Broadway, oh Broadway, you're finally coming back. I miss drinking wine out of sippy cups and a $20 snack. A night at the theater, my favorite kind of day. I even miss the people who always show up late. Pretty cool. Uh, and that is true. Uh, that's one thing that would really help Midtown. Not that everyone around the country understands this or worries about it, but... The people I worry about, and not the Lin-Manuel. Miranda. Miranda, who did, uh, Hamilton. did Hamilton and everything else. 
But I worry about the theater, the people that work in the theater. I worry about the actors that like supporting cast. They don't make a ton of money. There's nowhere to go. I mean, for a year they couldn't act. There were no commercials. Now they're shooting, and you have to get on stage again. I think things are going to be get better. But you could argue that the people that got hurt the most are not the superstars. No one needs to give money for Tom Cruise. But the people on Broadway, outside the stars, don't make a ton of money, and there's no fallback plan, and you couldn't even go be a waiter because the waiter, it, no one's in a, no one's in restaurants. No, you're absolutely right. But then sort of you brought up Tom Cruise. When he went off on his movie set, right, it wasn't about him. It was about the rest of the crew, right, that was able to work because they were following yeah. the guidelines. At first I believed you. I was siding with you. But the more I hear anecdotes about this, about he came off yeah. like, look at me. Look how great I am. I'm, I'm saying. Okay. And plus, when people sit next to each other, t- we know this now. If I stand next to you and we're still waiting on a vaccine. Well, I agree with that. It's me and you is the problem. You know, so I, I don't know. But I, I, dressed, I digress. However, I will say the rest of the country does understand Broadway in the sense that everyone who wants to come to New York, Broadway is something so... New York, so America, right? It's what it's one of the things on the checklist when you come to New York. So I want you to. This is not necessarily a passion of yours, but this is a major story. Paying players uh, and paying college athletes. Everyone's like, of course they should be paid this million dollar contracts. But what do you pay field hockey? What do you pay uh, track and track and field when they don't attract any fans? Or about Division two soccer, which I played. Division three soccer, fifty uh, percent probably don't get any fans at all. What do we pay them? Cut 32. I think it's a very slippery slope, simply because who do you pay? You have to understand that a lot of the programs, certain football programs, finance so many other footballs. What are you going to pay the women? Are you going to pay the men? Are you going to pay Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three? I think this thing has so many different entities. I had a suggestion regarding compensating the athletes while they're in school. Establish a trust. If you're going to sell a jersey of someone's, they want to be able to do endorsements because the university is selling their jerseys. Set up a trust for them so that when the eligibility ends, that money's theirs. You're going to start bidding and buying, you know, young kids. And I just think it's a mess if they try and do this. That's Joe Theismann, of course, who went to Notre Dame and did become a successful athlete. But I like that. It's tough to do. I get it. But I like that idea of putting that money aside, but not while you're playing. Because soon I'm going to go to Alabama. They're paying me more. Well, you're not you're not in college then. And the only reason we care is because you're playing for a school we care about. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Lindsey Graham's coming on at the bottom of the hour. He's got an editorial out. It simply says this. If we had looked at the Wuhan lab leak and gave it the, uh, the scrutiny it deserved, Donald Trump would be president. And it's hard to argue with that. I'm going to bring that up to Jesse Waters. Why do I think that? Because he's right here and he's listening to me. And I believe that's a topic that he would embrace. Am I right, Jesse? You are correct, Brian. Right. Kilmeade. First, would you like me to hear, would you like to hear me do the big three? Sure. 
All right, let's get going. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us? The greatest threat facing America? Global warming. Because of the significant population Because of the fights over what is aerial landing. Is this unbelievable? Hold on tight. President Biden has kicked off his overseas trip, which will culminate with a one-on-one with Vladimir Putin. But so far, off to a rocky start. My concerns are his age and his instincts. Oh, yeah. Citing climate change as the number one national security threat. Uh, Next time, Joe, phone a friend. The answer is China or Russia. (laughs) Number two. This is a CNN report on Harris's trip. Vice President Kamala Harris endured a rocky first foreign trip since taking office, with sources telling CNN her two-day swing through Mexico and Guatemala left some administration officials quietly perplexed about what they perceive as her bumpy answers to questions about whether she will go to the U.S.-Mexico border. I've met Ainsley before. She's really nice and actually (laughs) very accurate. The border is broken and it was a really bad trip. That's the state of the game after VP Harris returned home after two stunningly subpar meetings with Mexico and Guatemala. We'll discuss it. Number one. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. So if you are trying to get at me, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Do you believe this? Starting to crack. The almighty Fauci makes it clear. Criticize me, you're criticizing science, really? What if a doctor scientist criticizes you? Do they not like science, their own profession? With more on this, taking Dr. Anthony Fauci's side is Fauci apologist Jesse Waters. (laughs) Uh, He is a co-host of The Five, hosted Waters World on Saturdays at 8, and author of the upcoming book, comes out on July 6th, How I Saved the World. So, Jesse, yes, uh, I did not know when he said this. I was on a shoot yesterday. Did you guys tackle this on the five? We're going to tackle it tonight on the five. So it came out after it did. So, I mean, your thoughts, you're as outraged. And I, he's the most <laughs> overrated guy I've seen in my life. So when you attack a liberal, this is what they do. They say, oh, you're attacking women. You're attacking me because I'm black. You're 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 attacking the it's media. True. So they try to then assume this grand identity. You're attacking science. No, we're not even attacking science. We're we're criticizing you, Dr. Fauci, and he should be able to take the heat. I don't know if Chuck Todd followed up and said, well, Dr. Fauci, critics would say that you did have it wrong on masks. You did have it wrong on how much danger this pandemic would be. You did have it wrong to marginalize the Wuhan lab leak. You did have it wrong saying surfaces are a place you can catch the virus. You did have it wrong when it said you can catch it outside. So I don't know. Did he? I, it's more than likely if he had followed up like that, it would be in the news. But I'll give him benefit of the doubt. He is so defensive. He is also referring to himself. In the third person. If we listen to the whole bite, I'm not going to bore you with it. We got the gist of it. He actually refers to himself, if you insult Dr. Fauci, excuse me, aren't you Dr. Fauci? Well, as someone that likes to refer to himself in the third person, I'm not going to attack him for that, Brian, but you're right. He, he no, was you wrong. refer to your show as if you're not on it. <laughs> Waters World was looking to find out. That's right. That's right. And so, But, he, yeah, he was wrong on the lockdowns. Remember, he stuffed everybody inside when outside it wasn't spreading. And wrong on hydroxy. Now, three studies have come out that says that's been effective. Hydroxychloroquine. Yes, wrong on masks. 
He's criticized DeSantis. DeSantis was the hero. Cuomo was the villain. He got it all wrong. So we're not really criticizing science. We're just saying, listen, you got it wrong, what, a half dozen times? Let's, let's, let's get it together and get it right so it doesn't happen again. So I'll, since we are not scientists, we could have been. It's all who you know in that business. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Peter McCullough is. is cardiologist, internist, and epidemiologist. And he was on with Laura last night. So your witness, cut 13. Well, Laura, as a practicing doctor and as an editor of two major journals, I can tell you, you know, we hear from lawyers that no person is above the law and in medicine, no doctor is above peer review. And what Americans really deserve to see over the last year is a team of doctors, preferably doctors who actually knew how to treat patients with COVID-19, knew how to rapidly interpret their literature and come up with the correct inferences. You know, the science changed over time. And every time there was a definitive statement, within a few days or a few weeks, there were new data coming out, particularly with respect to treatment. Listen, we noticed that as civilians. I think by the time though his book comes out November 3rd, I know it's all about July 6th with you, <laughs> but as by the time his book comes out on November 3rd, I think he's going to be totally disgraced. And I do I, too. Before, unlike Cuomo, he got it right after. He's going to get it before. I do too. And that advance, whatever he got, I, I hope it wasn't more than what I got for How I Saved the World because that's a disgrace. Is it a very similar book? Yeah, well, mine's longer. Mine's 300 pages. His is only 80. His is 80. Yeah, I mean, doctor, schmockter. But you're right. So it it wasn't just um, he was following the science and the science developed. He was getting emails from scientific leadership saying it looks like the sequence never mutated. It looks like this was manipulated. And then he got on a conference call with these scientists. They did a 180 and put out a paper and says, no, 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 it came from an animal. So he was actually – it was a scientific conspiracy to then block scientific research into the truth. All right. I got to bring you to something else that's driving me nuts, what I have not been able to focus on. And that is I do fear uh, Joe, Joe Biden's foreign policy instincts and track record. There's two things I worry about. This climate change agenda that's destroying our energy, our fossil fuel, uh, which has been literally the engine of our economy, this hydride uh, – uh, the – the uh, fracking that has allowed us to, to ship and use natural gas. And, of course, the oil, the drilling that's been taking place, he's getting rid of all of it. Page six of the Wall Street Journal today, not only is China not doing that, they say they're more moving away from whatever they agreed to on the Paris climate change. They said their focus is going to be on reviving their economy. That's what our focus should be. This is President Biden saying to an audience in England, what his Joint Chiefs of Staff are telling him, cut three. We must all commit to an ambitious climate action if we're going to prevent the worst impacts of climate change limiting global warming, warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. We need the global, the global transition to clean energy technology. You know, I went over in the tank in the Pentagon when I first was elected Vice President, President Obama. The military sat us down. Let us know what the greatest threat facing America, the greatest physical threat. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. I'd fire them all. I would say, listen, is that true? Do you guys all, okay, you're all gone. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Joint Chiefs told him that. I think he made it up. He better have. I think he made it up. That would be actually the good side of this story. And I thought the biggest threat was white supremacy. Right. Wasn't that the biggest threat? I forgot. And then last year it was Russia. Right. And then it was China. 
So, like, every other week it's a different threat. So he, instead of, after the first hack, this is the message Vladimir Putin is sending us, and he's representing us. After the first hack, they were so scared about uh, retribution, they hit us again from the same country. This time, first they got our uh, our uh, oil and gas, then they got our meat. Right. Right. Then they said, you know, human rights is going to come up. Navalny's health matters to us. You know what they said? His organization is now illegal. There's no sign he's ever going to get out. They also arrested two more dissidents in the meantime. These are messages sent to Joe Biden to make him uncomfortable. This is a quote from their foreign minister in, uh, on the doorstep of their meeting uh, in Vienna in a few days. This is a disaster. Uh, Joe Biden has to defend big beef. In the United States, big beef and big oil. It's barbecue season, Brian. We need to be able to barbecue this beef. I would, if I were the president, right before I sat down with Vladimir Putin, I'd have the Defense Department launch a cyber attack on Rosneft, the big oil company right there. So he finds out during the meeting that the biggest oil company in Russia just got hacked. And then afterwards, I'd say, we're going to now re-up on all the military package to Ukraine. Big satellite imagery shipment. I, I, I lock in with all the tactical armaments because they have snipers in the east that are crushing the Ukrainians. And, and that's what I do. I'd sandwich Putin with those two deals and I'd, I'd, I'd force him to say next attack from Russian soil on America. I'm holding the Kremlin personally responsible. All right. Am I overstating when I say Kamala Harris has a disastrous two day trip? <laughs> I think that's about right. I mean, totally but did you have any, the issue. what were your expectations, though, Brian? I mean, well, did you really think she was going down there to solve problems? She's buying time. She doesn't want to go to the border. She doesn't want photographs of her with border agents at a wall praising Border Patrol agents. She wants to run for president one day. That'll just be an ad against her by someone like AOC that can say, you know, she's tough on immigrants. She's mean. She's nasty. She's pro-Border Patrol. She doesn't want those images out there. So she's doing she's tap dancing and avoiding the problem. All right. 180,000. Do you know what that number is? That's, yeah. that's who have crossed the border in May. 173 the month before. The problem is the, 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 the problem's getting worse in real time. It's not like, how did you handle that when you first kicked off and all those kids were coming across, dropped over a wall? It's actually still happening. What did we open up to it this week on Monday? A five-year-old walking around by herself in front of the wall, and then you see a border agent grabbing her. One of these images would have been the image we never forgot about Trump ingrained in our minds and our psyche forever. So she's got an unfolding problem, and I just see Henry Cuellar today called on Biden and Harris to let the— Local people, let the let the local residents understand that you care and come down to the border. Coyar, I don't need to tell you, a Democrat. I think that I think they're going to have a hard time outrunning this problem. Well, you know, it gets really hot in the summer, so this migration pattern's naturally going to die down. So they'll just pat themselves on the back and claim that they fixed it. But it's just going to be just as bad next year because they're not changing any of the policies. I think they're going to get rocked in the midterms. Immigration's a hot button issue. You think people this mayor race? I think it's a harbinger of things to come. People are upset about it, especially people in Texas. They're trying to turn Texas blue, Brian. That's what they're trying to do. Right, but it's going the other way right now. And here's the other thing. Well, But but politically right now it's going the other way. But if you get hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants pouring into Texas, and it's a a lot of women, you know, they have babies— they're going to if they get amnesty, if they get asylum, they're going to vote Democrat. First year generation immigrants always vote Democrat. That's the game. They're going to suffer early 
uh, short-term consequences. But long-term, if they turn Texas blue, forget about it. You'll never have another Republican president. Just remember, there's also a story they call Rove underlined, I think, uh, uh, be, uh, wrote about, and it was the facts reveal that more and more Hispanics are going to Republicans. And that is a well, fascinating it's, it's development. Still, it's still 70-30. I'd like to get it to 60-40, but it's still not a good ratio right now. And by the way, they're not uh, – do you say women have babies? Uh, birthing people. Excuse Thank me, you. Brian. Thank you. I know you're very politically correct. If Joe. you don't mind, I have an audience. <laughs> uh, listen, when we come back, yes. uh, uh, Jesse wrote a book. He's done with it. You're done with it. Right? I'm done with it. July 6th, it's going to be available to the masses. And he uses words like harbinger, which you just used on our show. <laughs> We're going to get the details of that when we come back. Then you have the five to do. Yes. And then you have to take command of your pregame show for your show that tapes tomorrow that airs on Saturday. Water's World. Water's World. That's right. Based on you. Based on me. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're back, everybody, uh, from New York, around the country, around the world. Jesse Waters is going to be doing the five in a few hours, but Jesse... Uh, I have not seen your book yet. I've had, I've know you have fun talking about it. Uh, How I Saved the World. It's not out for July until July six. But can you give me an idea of what to expect? Well, we're getting a shipment in, and so we're going to get you a copy next week. Right. Got about sixty five copies. You're going to get one of them. Gutfeld's going to get one of them. Right. Will, so will I get it first. I will make sure Johnny gets you the first copy. Right. So you remember my story. I started off in the basement of Fox, and then all of a sudden I'm a big smash hit all across the world. Right. The world. Might be overstating. You weren't in the basement. I, yeah, no, I was in the newsroom. <laughs> oh, okay. That was in the basement. All right. You right. were still a big shot. C1. Then. C1. And so my job was to do intake, which means they give you tapes, and then I had to label the tapes with a Sharpie. It was like arts and crafts. Right. So that's where I started, Brian. And then I got on the factor. And then I was bothering everybody so much in the pod that Bill sent me out of the building to go bother other people. And, and that, what would he say? This is what I want. Well, no at, at, Bill O'Reilly. At, at first, I was supposed to ambush bad judges that were giving soft sentences to sex offenders. Okay. So I'd hide in the bushes and jump out at unsuspecting judges and, 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 and say, How, have you no shame? And things like so that got me that got me prepared for live television because you can't screw up when you're doing an ambush. You only get one shot. Right. And then eventually Bill said, Jesse, I want you to go out in the street and I want you to find out how much people know. And it turns out they know very little about. <laughs> so history I would, yeah, or news. So I would go out. I would go out to the beach, Jones Beach, July 4th. And I would say, you know, who did America fight in the Revolutionary War? And people would say China. <laughs> Or I would say, I would say, who did America fight in the Vietnam War? And they'd say, South Korea. <laughs> <laughs> so he used to send me all over the country. We used to go to cannabis conventions, mushroom festivals. So did you go back and look at those tapes to remind yourself what you were so doing? So it's back all then? on the internet. So I would go back. I'd look at all the footage, and so I would. Go, I went to the border. You know, I went to Miami and I went to all these places and I have all these great stories about going to nude beaches or going to the south side of Chicago and things like that. So as I'm telling hilarious and 
very self-deprecating stories about me kind of failing from city to city, I splice in my commentary, which you see on The Five, about, you know, violence in the inner city or mm-hmm. the war on women or, you know, the, the global warming hoax. You know, my parents would send me to these outdoor wilderness survival schools right. where I'd have to, you know, take a matchbook and a knife and survive for three days by myself. Without any gel? Without any didn't hairspray. Me, yeah. No, hairspray attracts gnats. You can't oh, have yeah, hairspray you can't have there. that. Did not know. So, you know, I didn't shower for a whole month, Brian. Out there, is that we true? used to yeah, we used to we used to wipe with sticks. What about a lake? Is there a stream? Yeah, we'd jump in the lake, oh, okay. but there's no shampoo out there. Oh, okay. You know, I thought there I was. Didn't, there's no Vidal Sassoon dispenser. No dispensers. No dispensers. That's so weird. So yeah, what I, I tell these stories, but as I tell these stories, I talk about you know politics and you know when the president invited me to dinner at the White House, I tell about that things that people have never heard before. And do you feel as though this could create controversy? Do you see a movie? Do you think this is going to help or hurt your career? I think financially it will help my <laughs> career. <laughs> but, I, but I believe I, – I, I had a tough time getting it through Fox News PR. Why? It took a while. Because? There, there were some things in there that I think that they were not thrilled with. There was some editing that had to be done. I mean, the book probably should have come out in February. <laughs> now it's come out in July. There were some extra edits that had to be done. Because, you know, we used to go to war with these reporters. You know, I, used to, I, I got into fights with, with people at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I was there. You know, uh, Jeffrey Immelt used to, you know, send spies to my house. Did not know that. Yeah, like The th- former chairman of GE? You know, I, I, I was hated by George Clooney. For when I confronted him at the at the red carpet at the Academy Awards, these are the stories that I've never told, and now we will tell them in How I Saved the World, which is due out July 6. You can pre-order it, not at Amazon. If you don't like Amazon, go to HarperCollins.com. All right, or go up to Jesse in the street and say, "Can I be have one of the free 65 books? <laughs> Why does Kill Me get a free one? 64 now. Kill 64. Me has the first one. And if you're going to make up with Cooney, yes or no? Uh, I'm open to it. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people, and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. And anybody that looks at what's going on clearly sees that. You have to be asleep not to see that. Unbelievable. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham joins me now. Senator, you've, you've dealt with Anthony Fauci behind, uh, before. He is reeling. And for him to criticize critics that have the audacity to criticize him and say, you just don't like science, shows how detached he is. What do you think? Well, I think the facts need to be looked at. So here's the question. In February the 19th, 2020, 27 scientists or 23, I can't remember, 27, issued a a statement that wasn't a scientific statement. It was a political statement, I believe, saying that anybody who questioned the origin of the coronavirus 
coming from the lab in Wuhan was spreading conspiracy, undercutting the public good. Read that letter they put out. How in hell did they know on February the 19th, 2020, that the only way the, the source of the virus was uh, natural transmission? This letter came out. It was a political document designed to shut down criticism and inquiry about whether or not the coronavirus came from a lab. And the leading character here, a scientist, was also in charge of the grant program. So here's what I would say to Dr. Fauci. Tell me why they wrote this letter, and how could they have found, based on scientific evidence available in February 2020, that the lab leak theory was right-wing conspiracy? Answer that question. I would love to see him answer that question, and I would also love to see the the facts behind these emails, uh, one of which was he did have questions about the origin of the virus. He did go to Europe to meet with other scientists about it. What was he telling us? Well, here's the problem. The media ran with that letter, and five virologists the next month issued a statement, the lab leak theory is garbage. Tom Cotton came out with this idea that it may have come from the lab, and he was vilified. President Trump started calling it the China virus because he suggested it was a lab leak. Well, if you look objectively, all the indicators seem to indicate that the genetic sequencing of this virus, when you look at it closely, is more consistent with human manipulation than it is coming from nature. So if you had column A and column B and you put all the factors suggesting uh, human manipulation in a lab leak, they outnumber uh, coming from nature. That's science. That's what we know today. But what happened in February and March of 2020 was an effort by scientists who were up to their eyeballs in conflicts of interest with the Wuhan lab trying to smear people who suggested it came from the lab. And this had a big effect on the 2020 election. President Trump was excoriated by the media as being a right-wing nut because he suggested it came from the lab. Well, here's the truth. In 2021, it's more likely it came from the lab than it did from nature, and uh, it worked. They were able to label President Trump uh, out there on the coronavirus origin. And they shut down an inquiry that I think could have changed the election. Let me tell you why. If it had been known in 2020 that the most likely source of the coronavirus came from a Chinese lab, the Chinese government, through incompetence and negligence, allowed this to infect the world, there would be a desire for revenge against China. And the issue for 2020 would be who is better able to hold China accountable. Trump or Biden, I think that would have changed the outcome of the election. That's what you write about in today's uh, column that you put in. Lindsey Graham is on FoxNews.com. He gets into detail on it. And I don't think when you get 75 million votes, even though uh, Biden got 80 million, you wonder, without competing at all, all those people were voting against Trump, perhaps, uh, it would have been, been a different story. There'd be a lot of things that would be different uh, if you think about that when they rebuild what happened on this election. If this is a normal election, Joe Biden never would have been able to campaign and keep up. Then there's add to this, hydroxychloroquine. According to a study, if you took hydroxychloroquine and zinc, you increase your chances of survival with the coronavirus by three times. Three times. The well, president, if you, right. did, if you wrote that and tweeted that, your account was frozen. Well, all I can say is that the social media sites shut down any discussion of the lab leak theory. During the campaign, 
Trump made his fair share of mistakes, but they vilified him and Cotton for suggesting it came out of the lab. And what do we know now? That the scientist who wrote this letter saying it could not have come out of the lab had a conflict of interest. They were tired of the Wuhan research projects. So here's what I would say to Dr. Fauci. Show me the science in February 19, 2020, that justified such a damning letter. What was the science they used to say that anybody who suggested it came out of the lab was a right-wing nut? Where's that science? So I want to help you with this side of the story. Uh, 60 Minutes, three weeks ago, Peter Danzig, who is the one who uh, funded the, right. the, uh, the function. He was the leader of the letter. Yeah, Peter Danzig, who was thanking Anthony Fauci for, for marginalizing anyone who thought this was a Wuhan right. lab link. Here's what right. he said on 60 Minutes. Tell me if you see a problem with this story. Leslie Stahl certainly does. Listen. We met with them. We said, do you audit the lab? And they said, annually? Did you audit it after the outbreak? Yes. Was anything found? No. Do you test your staff? Yes. But no. you're one just was... taking their word for it. Well, what else can we do? There's a limit to what you can do. And we went right up to that limit. We asked them tough questions. They weren't vetted in advance. Uh, and the answers they gave, we found to be um, believable, um, correct, and convincing. But weren't the Chinese <laughs> engaged in a cover-up? They destroyed evidence. They punished scientists who were trying to give evidence on this very question of the origin. Well, that wasn't our task, to find out if China had covered up the origin issue. No, no, I know. Issue. I'm just saying, doesn't that make you wonder? We didn't see any evidence of any um, false reporting or cover-up in the work that we did in China. Were there Chinese government minders in the room? every time you were asking questions? There were Ministry of Foreign Affairs staff in the room throughout our stay, absolutely. They were there to make sure everything went smoothly from the China side. Or to make sure they weren't telling you the whole truth and nothing but you, the truth. You sit in a room with people who are scientists and you know what a scientific statement is and you know what a political statement is. Uh, we had no problem distinguishing between the two. Do you believe this guy? I mean... I. If this passes for science, God help us all. How sophisticated do you have to be to understand that the Chinese Wuhan lab and other labs have had a history of problems? How sophisticated do you have to be to understand that scientists in China are not going to say or do anything that's going to get them shot or put in jail? So here's my question for, for this gentleman. The letter you authored on February the 19th, 2020, slamming those who questioned the origin of the virus coming from a lab leak. What science did you have to justify those statements? Yep. And here's the other thing. Why did the Chinese let this guy in? If I had to pick somebody to let in to look at the lab as a Chinese Communist Party operative, I'd pick this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he makes Inspector Clouseau look like Sherlock Holmes. He clearly is detached from reality of how China works. Willingly. And I smell a rat. Yeah. And I smell a rat. Real quick. This is the Russian dossier all over again. And real quick, and you talk about that too. Imagine if people ask the right questions on that. But uh, I know your other expertise is uh, foreign policy. I'm really concerned about this trip. You know Joe Biden well. Here's what he said is America's greatest challenge. We must all commit to an ambitious climate action 
we're going to prevent the worst impacts of climate change limiting global warming warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. Lead the global, the global transition to clean energy technology. And, and the audio is so bad, I'm just going to finish it for him. He said yeah. he went over to the Pentagon. He talked to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You know what they told him was the number one uh, threat to America? Climate change, not Russia or China. Who's right? <laughs> well, if they said that, they should be fired. All okay. of them. Yeah, all of them. So climate change is a problem. Let's fix it. But the biggest threat to world order today is the Iranians. They're the largest state sponsor of terrorism. They're trying to make a bomb, not build a nuclear power plant for peaceful purposes. If you ask the Arabs and the Israelis, what's the biggest threat to your survival? They're not going to pick climate change. They're going to pick the Chinese. Uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, the Iranians. China is disrupting world order at every turn. Uh, And all I can say is the statement by President Biden is delusional. If our military leaders actually said that, they're delusional. I don't believe it. I don't believe that the military leadership of this country told Vice President, now President Biden, that the biggest threat we face from a national security perspective is climate change. If that's true, that makes me doubt their ability to lead, uh, but I really don't believe that to be an accurate statement. I'd like to know whether or not they actually said that. And if you believe that, if you believe that's a bigger threat to world order than the Iranians and Chinese Communist Party, uh, God help us all. Right. I know you're going to run take a vote. Last question. Do you think Joe Manchin holds the line on infrastructure, holds the line on uh, the filibuster, holds the line, uh, yeah. uh, holds the line on the H.R. 1 voting? I hope so, because when we had the House, the Senate, and the White House, there was a lot of pressure on all of us as Republicans to change the filibuster rule. Uh, I didn't say I'm going to change it unless Democrats do what I want. I'm not asking any more of Senator Manchin than I ask myself. And the main thing, I think he's doing what people in West Virginia want him to do, keep the integrity of the Senate in place. He took Robert Byrd's seat, who was sort of one of the, you know, the biggest institutionalist in the history of the Senate. So I appreciate what Joe Manchin's doing, but I think he's doing what the people of West Virginia want him to do, not Schumer. And uh, I appreciate him doing it. But if he if he goes down the Schumer path, I think he would be training the people of West Virginia and Robert Byrd. And I know Joe Manchin. He's a good guy. I don't think he'll do that. All right, Senator Lindsey Graham, go vote. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, go get his column on foxnews.com. Appreciate it, Senator. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, we'll find out if we need to know more. Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I think it's time to find out if we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, let's find out if this is true. COVID pandemic has turned some older adults into problem drinkers. A national poll of 2,000 adults between 50 and 80 examined the group's drinking habits starting shortly before COVID. Lasting for the 10 months. Results, 23% of older adults said they regularly have at least three drinks in one sitting. One in 10 admit to having other substances while drinking, including marijuana. Wow. Overall, 14% of respondents who drink said that their alcohol consumption went up during COVID. Does that surprise you? you? Um, The age range a little bit, but it also makes sense. I mean, have you experienced that with your friends? 
Mm. Well, no. I mean, I mean, it's been. We kind of like only did this for a few weeks, and then mm. I was back to normal. I just couldn't do it out. Some people binge drink, but I don't see any problem drinkers amongst it. You did? Um, no, I know people drank more, but it's like you weren't going anywhere. No one had to worry about driving home. No one, you know, all the things. If you were getting together, it might have been just close neighbors. Right. Um, so it sort of took away some of the risk factors, so therefore you could do riskier behavior. Okay, good point. Next, two and three uh, pet owners admit they take better care of their pets than themselves. No, not surprising. 62% of the poll added that the pets help them to exercise more by taking them for walks and playing in their homes. Another 44% said the pets help them to be more cautious of the food they eat. So I guess it's a, it's a one-way relationship. Eight in ten respondents agree that taking care of their pet actively encourages them to take better care of themselves, too. So that's encouraging. We care. I'm somebody who loves dogs, and I think pets are important. I'm stunned how much we love our dogs. You're stunned by, well, do you, would you think, do you take care, better care of your dogs than yourself? Oh, I've always, I've always been a solid dog owner. I think most dogs will report the same thing. <laughs> but I always think that we, uh, as a human beings, we so much are sick of people. We much rather be with animals. That's, they're just, they're always happy to see you. They're very sincere. They exactly. don't have the fake side. They don't have a chip on their shoulder. No. And they make it clear who's who's in charge. Next. <laughs> That's really why you like it. Chipotle increasing venue prices to offset rising employee costs. I got to pay my people more, right, uh, Elizabeth Warren? Well, it's going to cost you more to get a to get a burrito. Does that surprise you? Now they're paying people between $11 and $8 an hour, $18 an hour. The average employee was making $13 an hour. So pay a little bit more. That doesn't surprise me. I don't know if it's Chipotle. It's around the country, but by me... They had people in there. You couldn't even walk up to the counter during the pandemic to order. You had to order on the app and go out and wait. I know. I lost my mind. It's crazy. Next. The Congressional Black Caucus has a new member. Congressman Byron Donalds. Wait a second. No, he's not. It looks as though they are blocking him becoming a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Not because he's not black. That's because he's not Democrat. Quote, the sad reality is, although the congressman and those in the CBC share the same race, the R behind his name disqualifies him. Uh, that, according to Harrison Fields, Donald's spokesperson. That is disgusting. It is, but it also then, I mean, sadly, just confirms what everyone has thought for so long. The CBC also has no Republican members, but black GOP lawmakers have joined them in the past. The only other black Republican House member uh, is uh, Burgess Owens. And he said uh, before he won the election that he did not plan on joining yeah, I mean, they should just change it to the black congressional Democrats, right? And remember, it was uh, Lincoln was a Republican. Uh, next. So when, when that whole meat thing happened and meat skyrocketed and we got the uh, ransomware virus, we wonder how it suddenly got back online so quick. $11 million paid in Bitcoin to a company located in Russia allowed our meat to go back to factory and to get back on the shelves. It's already going to up in price. It costs $11 million. All it does is let the uh, let these criminals know there's more where that came from. True, even though hopefully maybe they're tracking it in some way that we don't know about and they'll get some of it back like they did with the pipeline. Right, but I don't want them to get the money back. What about the people that did pay more for meat or had none? What about the people that pay more for gas 
double. I heard in Virginia was $7 a gallon. No, Who's you're paying them back? You're absolutely right. It'll be interesting to see how uh, President Biden brings it up to Putin next week. Keystone Pipeline officially canceled, terminated. That is terrible. The quote from the senator from Idaho, where the pipeline runs, the Keystone XL Pipeline would have strengthened U.S. energy independence while supporting thousands of high-paying jobs in the U.S. and Canada. And guess what? Joe Biden got a total pass on that. Disgusting. While letting Nord Stream 2 pipeline go from Russia, bypassing Ukraine, through Europe. The hypocrisy, you you couldn't make it up. Hanoi Jane Fonda slams Joe Biden for failing to be bold on climate change because he's not acting fast enough. Right. Jane Fonda has ever done anything besides, what is that, uh, that, that show on a lake? Beyond Golden Pond. Has she ever done anything since then? Isn't she in that like Gracie and Frankie show? I think she. I think she also made a. Uh, she made a, a bunch of VHS tapes. How to get hurt while doing aerobics. Uh, Jane Fonda, take a walk. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.